Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, <clears throat> excuse me, and good morning, listeners. I've been away for a, a substantial number of time, but, but a couple of months, and happy to be back. Let's start the program with paying our respects to the uh, traditional owners of the of the land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This land was stolen and never ceded. Um, we pay our respects to the elders and um young people of today who will be the future leaders of the community and hopefully Australia. Anyway, so I hope you've been enjoying the programs while I've been away. Uh, we've got um, a couple of interviews lined up for today. One's on the aftermath of um, the elections in Malaysia, the fallout um, after the 100 days, what has been the achievements, um, especially for people who have been full of hope, um, and where are they today in terms of progress and implementing the promises, uh, the 10 promises they made to the people. And we also have um, an interview with an uh, Alcoa um, spokesperson or workers' uh, uh, spokesperson um, in relation to their strike, I think they're in their fourth, um, fourth almost fifth week now. Um, again, it'll be about... Um, workers suffering from the shenanigans of employers who ex- want to exploit them for maximum profit. So the, the, that, that doesn't end, whether it's the, um, uh, the um, hospitality industry, whether it's nurses, whether it's childcare workers, uh, factory workers, whatever. Any form of work done is obviously one that produces profit, and we will hear from one of the um, spokespeople today. But I just wanted to start the program with an article in Green Left Weekly this week about Fairfax and the bank corruptions and basically what are the reasons behind <clears throat> excuse me um, what's going on today in relation to the inquiry into the banks and of course now it's gone to the insurance companies uh, for all those people who buy insurances for various reasons should look into the amount of money you pay um, keep close eye on, on this news because the inquiry is going to become quite a nasty one as bad as the bank one from what I understand so <clears throat> do pardon me. Um, of course, before I start that, I just want to say um, that you're listening to 3CR and this Green Left Weekly program, of course, just got out of practice, that one. Um, and um, the podcast available, I haven't been able to upload them the last few weeks, but I will so in the next weekend. 
And um, if you have any um, issues that you want to query about the program, any, any questions you raise, um, fact checks, anything like that, you're welcome during the session. We will put up an email and, and the other things um, once we tidy up the, the act uh, this week. So let's look at the bank corruption. And, and is it just the banks or is it one element of the, of the whole system that we're looking at? Or is it the whole the system itself? Um, Fairfax and the ABC reported on mass demonstrations against corruption in Romania on the 12th of August. Fairfax claimed Romania is one of the European Union's most corrupt states. So these things only happen over there and nothing like this could happen over here. Um, in Australia, you can have a superannuation nest egg, egg plundered. Um, in fact, uh, from what I understand, the employers are trying very hard and the government trying very hard to um, get into the industry super uh, nest of eggs, so to speak, uh, so that they can get their hands off, hands on the trillions of dollars that's in there. I think it's trillions, if not billions. Um, it's it's a, a source of income that workers depend on when they retire. But if the bosses get their hands on it, we might as well say goodbye to it. I know one, it happened once before. One of my friends lost $100,000 when the market crashed. So it was it's a risky business and even more is, will be made more risky if the um, employers get their hands on it. So we need to fight that. Um, it hasn't come out quite in the open as it should, but it's there are rumblings going on. But getting back to the bank inquiries, um, there have been ongoing reports of individual instance, instances of bank malpractice and occasional reporting of large-scale institutionalized malpractice, for, exam- for example, the, the Storm Financials. Reporting of the Bank Royal Commission hearing has quickened the pace. But nobody, including the uh, media joints, the dots, and academia is asleep in its ivory towers, as usual. And even the critics of the media don't pick this up. And, and you only have a look at the questions that are being asked for on um, of these people, very powerful people with millions and, and trillions of dollars that they manage or supposedly manage and even run the system to an extent. Some of these practices are transparently illegal. Um, Thus, the AMP and the National Australian Bank charged people who happen to be dead for financial advice. So that's telling you something, I assume. Um, No, I don't assume. I hope it does because it is important that we look at how these banks practice, how corrupt they are, that they don't bother um, to check the, the accounts, who's paying, who's not paying, who's dead, who's not dead. Um, I guess that, that that can be sort of explained away by saying, at least run for our part, um, that it's a question of staff members. Everything is going online. In fact, today I, I, um, in the news I heard that you can, you can renew your driver's license online very soon and you can um, also uh, make... Uh, do your Centrelink payment adjustments online, not that they, they would trust anyone who's in the worker category or low SES um, category. So that remains to be seen, but that's something they are proposing. So that's what you got to look forward to, everything online. So if the line goes down, you're dead. This is the high depend- dependency on, on, on um, technology. And when technology fails, everything stops. And that's that's the world we live in today. Okay, let's look at the law that that 
either is irrelevant or acts to reinforce the corruption within these um, institutions. So a, ba- a bank lending manager can, at will, falsify key documentations in a mortgage contract without the prospective borrower's knowledge. Incomes of application can be falsified. The valuation of custom assets inflated and signatures can be forged. A bank lending manager can write a small business or farm a loan with inappropriate facilities. These um, will often be accompanied by promises that will not be kept, such as an initial promise to turn over a short-term loan. A bank lender may pursue fault uh, when a borrower is wounded by advice uh, adverse conditions, sectoral deregulation, such as the dairy industry, drought, food, or cyclone, especially in Queensland. But no excuse is necessary, even if customer has an exemplary repayment record. Defaulting a small business or farmer is simple, with options available. The bank, the bank may have forced the borrower onto due dependence on the basic overdraft facility used for operation purposes which is repayable at call. If the borrower has been put um, on bill facilities, these two, um, to be to, this to be returned over regularly, on turnover, the banks can make the terms more onerous and they, or um, for they can delay crediting the borrower's account. The letter inhibiting the borrower's dealings with the surplus. So you, you have enormous power that the system or our political managers have bestowed on these um, bank managers. None of us could do that, but they can do all these things at a whim, at a stroke of a pen. They can make you bankrupt at a stroke of a pen. They can take your house away, your land away, your farm away. So bank victims are the dispensable casualties of political parties, um, sachets with um, corporate power. So you, you have this combination of corporate power, you have got the banks, and we have to stop and think, how is it that this, the bankers have such power? And that's why this article looks at um, what actually goes on. The Australian Securities and Investment uh, Commission, called ESSEC, tells victims to go away. It lies to Complainant regarding its power. ASIC required responsibility for retail consumer financial services from its um, inception in 1998. It acquired responsibility for businesses to business um, an unconscionable conduct in 2001 to 2002 with the amendment of the ASIC Act Section 12C. Not a single case has been taken to in support of small businesses and farmers under Section 12C. The Financial Ombudsman Service, FOS, decides for the bank in, in significant cases. Um, it, it is bank-funded and obeys its funders. The FOS wastes victims' time, um, imposes um, arbitrary d- deadlines on them, and might occasionally determine a partial Redress only to have the bank ignore the order. So, a lame duck, toothless tiger. There are lots of words you can describe this sort of um, shenanigans or a law that that 
never gets implemented properly um, or diverted um, or delegated and, and never never have enough workers to implement or to monitor them properly. So it's, it's an amazing um, setup we have at this moment in the financial sector. So should the victim have, <clears throat> excuse me, scrapped together, or sorry, scraped together some money for a lawyer to... <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh, to get some money for a lawyer to represent the interest, they will regularly discover that the lawyer has been warned or paid off and is working for the other side. Should should the victim then be double lucky to achieve, um, to achieve a settlement, uh, its financial concessions to the victim will be trivial. It will have um, exonerated the bank from guilt and it will be subject to confidentiality to hide the criminal intent within. So you have companies um, and bank financial sector companies that can be corrupt and, in fact, um, deliberately um, misrepresent the law. And when you make a settlement, you sign a secrecy law. That means you don't tell people or your friends what the bank did, or tell the press, the war be tied. That'll be the end of, of that particular person. They'll sue them, and they've got the money to do that. That's a problem. The, even even the, the legal profession, bar some very honest and committed uh, lawyers, um, even if the, the lawyers were committed, the system is so twisted that they are unable to um, implement the law as it should. And then, of course, the decision des- rests with the judges, for that, we only have to look at the U.S. and what um, judge, judges, how judges are appointed, um, and the whole system is so filled with uh, biases that it's very difficult for any worker, never mind a farmer who's usually a little bit better off than workers, um, to win cases against huge um, uh, companies like the banks and institutions that are involved in the financial sector. So there's scandalously no register of interest for the judiciary in Australia. As for political class, perhaps there aren't um, brown bags in Australia. But for banks, there are successful alternatives. The bankers are key donors to party funds, crucial for winning elections. So the liberals are ideologically and social bedfellows with their finance sector. Labour has its ghosts that it cannot dispel. The hawk-heating government. <clears throat> well, Jacob's here. A little bit late. Young man had a late night, I suppose. <laughs> Never mind, but let's go on this. So bank victims are thus the dispensable casualties of the political parties uh, sachet with the corporate powers, as I said before. The revolving door through direct employment or casualties is widespread, and NAB is a past master. <clears throat> NAB has also to be the most consistently corrupt bank in the industry. Current chairperson NAB board and NAB board um, person Ken Henry was uh, previously the most senior relevant public servant in the land. This is the transition, and this transition is tolerated. In um, is is this sorry? This transition is tolerated is symptomatic of the malaise. The banks remain. Um, unrepentant. When the Royal Commission roadshow is finished, there is very like very like likelihood. 
got a frog in my throat. I can't stop it. Sorry about that. There's every likelihood that it will be business as usual. So that is the way the banks function. Um, let's hope that um, something will happen at the next elections to call these people to order, um, like what has happened in Wagga Wagga, where 30% of the votes had transferred from the main Liberal Party to uh, and the uh, National, of course, to um, other parties. It didn't even go to the ALP, as we know. So let's watch the next six, six or so months before they call the elections, and we shall uh, move on. Okay, um, I'm going to play a song, um, and we'll come back to more news after this. Welcome back to Green Left Weekly Radio. You're listening to 3CR 855 on your AM dial. Um, this is Laita here, and Jacob will join me again in a, in a few minutes. <laughs> He's going to do something. So I thought I would um, have a look at uh, some of the things that the system as a whole that exists uh, treats workers, and one of the key things that I've, um, or all of us know, is that the absolute desire by employers, supported by the government, in fact, in some cases led by the government, um, to destroy unions. And, of course, we have the strongest union, the CFMMEU, deregistration threat, um, which has happened many times before, like in the 80s and 90s when the BLF was um, re-registered by the then government. I think it might have been Hawke, I can't remember. But anyway, so the um, attack on the CFMUS has just started. So they have got Scott Morrison, our new minister, who, as far as I'm concerned, lacks all morals and all commitment um, while calling himself a Christian, does the most ghastly unchristian um, acts in the world, saying that he gave he was not the reason he gave was um, not the main that the unions had committed an industrial crime. Instead, it was, it was a Father's Day tweet by the Victorian CFMMU State Secretary John Setker. Setka had tweeted on September the 2nd, message to Stephen McBurney, the ABCC Australian Bank um, Construction Commission. Leave your dads alone and go catch real criminals, you cowards. That's a tweet. And um, holding a sign with get the F word, which I am not allowed to say on radio. Now, this sent Morrison and the right-wing media mad. Morrison told TGB Radio, which is at the moment is being fined $3.2 million uh, for a particular case. And um, am I delighted? You know, we in the alternative radio field um, struggle to get real news across while people like him make up stories and, in fact, has sometimes been called the kingmaker. So it's good to see them penalized for for deliberate misleading um, news and, in fact, um, suggesting things that aren't really news at all and using his um, voice to advertise for people he favours as opposed to delivering balanced news. Anyway, back to CFMEU deregistration. Now, more, uh, when, so this is what his uh, 2GB radio said. Um, Morrison told you to... GB radio. When you see children being used in these sorts of protests, their 
stuff just makes your skin crawl. And you only have to look at all the pictures that came out as soon as Morrison took um, his position as prime minister. His wife and kids were all over the, the radio and TV like a rush. And he has audacity to say that um, it is a crime to use or it is um, makes skin crawl, skin crawl. And it, it's just absolutely disgusting and hypocritical. And um, we, we really have to take our hats off to the depth of immorality this man displays in relation to things like this and his absolute desire to destroy anything about workers, anything that workers you know, represent workers' rights. But talking about um, children, um, Jacob was um, rather keen to um, talk about a fascinating case that happened a couple of days ago. Go on, Jacob. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm sure um, a lot of listeners have been um, hearing about uh, the nine-year-old um, Harper Nielsen, who is, um, or Nielsen, um, who's basically, she's become kind of a bit of a household name for Isn't refusing <laughs> to stand up for the Australian anthem. And, you know, um, the kind of response from some of the conservative writers is quite interesting. Um, you know, we have arch-racist Pauline Hanson have labelled her a brat. And, of course, there's the more moderate sort of type of right-winner who's sort of claiming that, you know, she accusing her of being brainwashed by her parents. And, you know, I think I think it's quite evident that she has a good grasp of history. Um, you know, she has said that she decided not to stand up for the anthem because it is racist. And, you know, speaking to Channel 10, um, she said, when it says we are young, it completely dis- disregards the Indigenous Australians who were here before us for over 50,000 years. And, of course, she also um, points this ac- out very accurately. When it was originally written, um, Advance Australia Fair meant advance the white people of Australia. And, of course, it certainly did because um, it was first sung in 1878 by the colonists who sought to expire patriotism and replace God Save the Queen as Australia's anthem in 1984. And I think another issue that's also popping up, you know, the fact that she was threatened with suspension, detention or by her school is actually, in theory, technically it's problematic because, you know, the schools are never are not expected to sing the national anthem. It, That's it's, right. It's never, it's, bizarre. it's never been made compulsory. Um, and even the federal government's own protocols do not say it is mandatory to stand for the anthem. Mm. And I think what's also something has to be pointed out, but the hypocrisy, I mean, these a lot of these people um, who are, you know, condemning this, um, this girl, um, they're the same people who are going on um, defending what's-his-name, the racist cartoonist... Kieran or something. Well, yeah. they'll, they'll they'll go in full on defence of this Referring horrific um, racist cartoon of um, Serena Williams. Mark, Mark something. Mark, Mark okay, yeah. yeah, and um, they they were going on about how oh this is a freedom of speech issue. People are just being too politically correct, and then all of a sudden they um, they start um, they start to become come off as total hypocrites. Quite a contrast. Quite a contrast, isn't but, it? Um, because it seems to them, I think, free speech only extends to those who... Um, well, they like. Who, yeah, who espouse racist views, while those yes. who speak out against racism must be silenced. Yeah. And I, I don't think, um, you know, they, they understand a nine-year-old's mind can stretch as far as understanding the actual words of the anthem. I'm sure most of those people who have been carrying on don't even know the national anthem. 
what the words are in, in, in it, then what the meaning is or how it was written up and who and why it was written. So mm. when they lacked that sort of knowledge, the little girl who obviously, obviously ex- examined it and has formed a view. And the father was very, very uh, diplomatic and he was saying, well, that's her view and we respect her view. Mm. Um, and and which, which is more than what politicians do when they talk to children or walk, uh, talk about children. They give them very little respect. And that, that in itself it's, it's important because, um, you know, you, you are building the young people, the leaders of tomorrow in this country, and this, this should infuriate the young people today. Mm. Absolutely disgraceful. Anyway, so um, any more news we want to talk about? I want to talk about climate change a little bit because mm. it's, um, you know, it's so heartbreaking to see the... Um, the lashing that's, that's happening in the Philippines, not the northern Philippines, and also parts of the U.S. The people um, from Katrina haven't recovered still after 10-odd years, and now they're getting another lashing. In the meantime, the best that Trump could say was that Puerto Rico's victim numbers were exaggerated by the Democrats. And I don't know why Puerto Rico even stays part of the bloody American country. They should also secede and form their own country so that they don't have to put up with this guy. It's just amazing. Um, it's it's so offensive because a lot of the people who were affected in um, Puerto Rico were black African Americans. So what is this about? Is it is it that he's he's just being nasty to his Democrats, or is he just fundamentally racist and he doesn't give a damn about? Um, people who are other than white. It's it's questionable. I'm sure there'll be a few journalists who'll be ripping him apart for that. Um, now, we we also see the Philippines where things are happening really, really rapidly. They're absolutely terrified of what's going to happen. So, and of course, and, and we follow that up with the fact that uh, Adani has um, illegally started mining aquifers in Queensland. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I heard about that. Yes, yeah. which which I I think there's a court case being launched. And anyone who hears about this and, um, you know, if, if you want to hear more, you have to look at the Friends of the Earth website or any of the, of the climate, um, uh, uh, climate change um, activist uh, websites. You'll find this is what Adani is doing at the moment. And the Queensland government is up for uh, a charge mm. if, if if they don't watch themselves because they are supporting it indirectly and it's being a real problem. Um, so climate change is going to get worse. We're going to have an extremely hot summer that's been predicted. And in the meantime, there are all these idiots who are saying climate change is a fiction. Mm. Um, like the guy from South Australia, what's his name? Anyway, it's it's... Atrocious. I, I don't even know if we're going to have a planet in 10 years' time, the way things are happening at the moment. There's, uh, you know, uh, hurricanes and, and, and uh, rain in one place, fire in another place. But at the moment, what we have is uh, incredible ignorance and a lack of action in any shape or form to stop any of this nonsense that's going on. Mm. You want to say something? Oh, no, that's, a f- oh, that's all I can comment on. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, Adani, you know... I'm just so sick of looking at his name on 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 Facebook or, yeah. or newspapers. Oh, somebody should just tell him, 
get lost. You know, they carry on about foreign investors. Why don't they get rid of this foreign investors? Yeah, well, I don't understand. They're getting, um, they're, I, think, I think the movement is making some progress that, you know, they've gotten a lot of the banks to divest. No, most of the banks don't want to have anything to do with Adani. It's just more the issue is trying to convince um, the state government uh, on Queensland level and then getting the federal government to basically oppose it. <laughs> Yeah, but it's not strong enough, though. You don't you don't see the the actions um, being discussed or being televised, and it's just, it's just appalling what 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 the media is doing. There's a clampdown. Any victory anywhere, they don't um, take it up and run with it, mm. and that that sort of put the damper on on people who are working hard to try and stop this nonsense. Mm. And Adani, oh. I just can't can't even bring myself to talk about it enough. It's just horrible, horrible man, um, and and total total capitalist, and the, the support the government's giving him is is illegal almost. You know, it, it, it's just damning of of the people and and the disrespect they're showing the 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 um, land and and Aboriginal land for that matter. <laughs> it all comes together in, in one go. It's a whole system stuffed and. What do you do? I mean, you can only keep campaigning and keep strong and, and, and come together with other people to fight this. Mm. All right. I just have to get that off my chest. Yeah. <laughs> I was listening to it. I was so angry. We have um, police arrest anti-cold protesters um, in Newcastle. Uh, the police arrested uh, Sarah Barron, a Newcastle local, who sat on a tripod for three hours across railway lines and blocked all the coal trains um, heading to Newcastle Coal Port and a young um, man and a woman for filming a peaceful protest on September 3rd. All three were taken into custody by by about a dozen police. You needed a dozen police to, to arrest three people. My tax money's down the plug hole, I can tell you. And, and with the two who filmed the event being charged with aiding and abetting, of course, 17-year-old Newcastle resident Ballon Teagle was arrested the following day for participating in the similar action. So Barron and, and Teagle were participating um, at Up Newcastle um, as part of the End Coal campaign initiated by Climate Justice Group uh, Frontline Action on Coal. So there's, there's a group that people who are interested can um, join mm. to fight against climate change. Um, and the group's aim is to shut down the railway feeding coal into the world's largest coal port in Newcastle and draw attention to Australia's uh, shameful status as the world's biggest coal exporter and one of the worst greenhouse gas emitters. So there you go. There, there's, there's, there's so many groups that are doing And, of course, there's 350 mm. is the other one. Yep. Yep. Oh. Oh, yeah, I was going to go move on to another story because I wanted Dude. to talk about British politics. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> so so um, I, we spoke about this last week about how um, you know, Labor's National Executive Committee decided to adopt um, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism. And, of course, the implication that that is it basically makes it so you can't actually criticise the State of Israel because criticising the State of Israel um, for its actions against the Palestinians is actually anti-Semitism. Semitic. Um, and yet there has, you know, despite the fact that um, the Labour Party has unfortunately in the UK caved into that um, for a lot of um, right-wing pressure, you know, there is, you know, a lot of justifiable um, anger from, you know, um, 
um, in protest. Um, for example, um, the Jewish um, socialist group activist David Rosenberg said it was no doubt a significant setback um, for Jeremy Corbyn allies, but despite the adoption of the de- definition and all its 11 examples, pro-Israel MPs and groups are hesitant to call the victory. And of course, you know, <laughs> you know, because I think for a lot of the pro-Israel Jewish leadership, they're not ju- they don't just want um, this sort of definition of anti-Semitism to change. They also want to get rid of Jeremy Corbyn. Of course, that's the idea. You see, the, the, for me, the fundamental issues they refuse to discuss the difference between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. Mm. That is that is the crux of the matter. And if they cannot do that, um, they lump or they try very hard to portray any anti-Zionist view as anti-Semitism. Mm. You know, they are, the Jews are the untouchable. That's how they present it. Mm. Not every Jew agrees with it. And I think lots of Jewish people who are freedom fighters and, and lots of people, lots of Jewish lawyers in Australia, for example, have res- represented pro bono, the, the Aboriginal community. Um, and they've done lots of enormous, fantastic work. But these are the Zionists that Corbyn is attacking. And they've twisted it to mean it's anti-Semitism. So... The Labour Party actually voted against the, the that that motion. That, that's no, no, they actually voted. Yeah, they voted for the yeah. the motion to basically adopt this. Um, the only person who really voted against it was Jeremy Corbyn and six other MPs. Mm. It says something about the right wing strength within the par- parliamentarians in mm. the party. But I'm sure the membership would have different views, and that'll go to mm. the polls anyway. Mm. All right. Do you want to um, complete that story? We'll go to a break. Welcome back, listeners. And this is the Green Left Weekly Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. And, of course, if you miss um, any of the shows or any of the interviews that we've had, you can always go to our podcast on 3CR's website. Now, the next I'm going to play an interview that I did yesterday with um, the spokesperson for Party Socialist Malaysia, which is a Socialist Party of Malaysia, of course, um, because what what happened in Malaysia was they had elections uh, three months ago and uh, the opposition uh, won with a landslide, really, um, and that removed a government that has been in place for 60-odd years, and that's uh, since the independence from the British in 1957. Um, it was like a silent coup, really, or a peaceful coup, and that sent shockwaves, um, you know, throughout the society or, or the whole of Malaysia, especially the business community. But of course, we have Mahathir, who's the ex-prime minister from previous decades, come back to lead that party called Party um, Pakatan Harapan (PH) for short. Um, it, it they made a promise. They made ten promises that they wanted to implement over the la- and, um, the next three months, excuse me, and so the 100 days really. So now is the um, just over the 100 days, and there are report cards being drawn up about um, the aftermath of the election and what they have done with those 10 promises. And I let you make up your own mind uh, because I've interviewed our children, who, who is, as I said, the, the spokesperson for PSM, um, and he is scathing about some of these issues. Here we go. So, um, tell me what's happening with um, the the Pakatan Harapan had made um, to the people. So the ten promises, they only actually were sort of like on the way, on the process, and all that. Mm. But there was a huge anti uh, hundred days promises. 
unlike during Barisha National Times because people were really, really looking forward for the uh, 10th uh, because uh, it was not really uh, fulfilled. Uh, Prime Minister Mahade was, he said, you know, this is not the Bible, we don't have to follow it. We didn't uh, expect it to win, so we put some of the things in the manifesto as if <laughs> it looks like uh, it was like as if it's an afterthought. Well, now they thought, oh, our manifesto was too good to be true. Mm. So I think I think uh, was uh, secretly uh, got rid of the GST, mm. but they brought in the service tax. Yes, and people are confused because uh, things are. Prices have not really gone down. People thought with the abolishment of the GST, everything just goes drops down, and you know, yep. the purchasing power will be higher. Now some are complaining that SST taxes because SST taxes six to six percent and ten percent, you know, mm. uh, sales tax and uh, service tax ten percent, sales tax six percent. So uh, there are. People who are complaining that the asset also high, lah, but it's still very new in that the new tax just started in September. But they said that SST but, was only for luxury goods, didn't they? Yes, exactly. But but you know, cons- uh, you know, the, these people just uh, pass the goods, whatever things, you know, because the consumers are not very, they don't know what's happening. You know, there was there was so much of focus on the GST. So when the GST was removed, you see a lot of goods were actually a number of goods under the GST was not uh, rated. Mm. That means a lot of food stuff was was actually not or zero rated even under GST. So people got confused because it, a lot of things were going to go down, but some things would, would did not go down. Created uh, like some uh, disappointment, you know, after mm. that. Uh, GST. So, so in the hundred days, the the main thing they got rid was the GST. Yep. And then everything, everything else, the to stabilize the petrol price, they, they stabilize it, but they did not bring it down. You know, that means if last time we used to fluctuate every weekly Wednesday, there'll be a new petrol price. Mm. Now we are paying one petrol price, which is not really a, a low price, you know. So mm. now it is, it's a stable price. But they're supposed to bring back the petrol subsidies that they haven't. Okay. So the other key question also is, I guess, you know, is also links in with the petrol prices and the SST and the um, stuff, is the fact that they had a debate about minimum wages and they only rose, increased the um, minimum wage by $50. And that's that's yeah, absolutely that's... does not compensate people for uh, the 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 increase in um, la, you know standards that uh, they have suffered from from the previous government. Yeah, I think the minimum wage is actually quite shocking because uh, even Barisan National they gave a, they gave an increase of hundred ringgit when they reviewed the minimum wage. So, but but you know those who know Mahadev would know that Mahadev was never ever happy with the minimum wage. He never wanted such a law in this country. And he was, you know, there's many things which he didn't want, like the, he, he didn't want ISK to be abolished. And ISK was abolished when he was not the PM. So similarly, uh, on the minimum wage, he did complain before, you know, 
when the minimum wage was introduced. But what is frustrating is, actually, you know, they agreed to increase minimum wage to 1,500 in five years. The manifesto for the Barisa National and the Qatar government, both were same, you know, both of them have the same promise. Only thing Pakatan said that they will subsidize 50%. That means the employer only pays 50% of it, another 50% the government will pay. So when we attended, you know, PSMV and trade unions, when we attended the meeting called by the Wage Council, and the Wage Council is supposed to advise the cabinet. And what the Wage Council actually advised the cabinet was 1,250 for Peninsula and uh, 1,000 for Sabah and Sarawak. Because Sabah and Sarawak was uh, 92 before this and Peninsula was 1,000. So they asked for 1,250, which is through their 1,500 promise. And then the cabinet told them to go back and uh, give us a rate where it is to standardize the rate between Sabah and Sarawak and Peninsula. So the Wage Council came up with 1,170, which would be a 170 ringgit increase. But you see, Mahade, he just followed what the employers, the employers' request was increase 50 ringgit and increase it from January next year. Though the minimum wage is due in July this year. So not only it is delayed now another six months, it's only increased it to 50, exactly what the bosses, the employers wanted. So I think, I mean, a lot of people are fed up, you know. I mean, it, it's, some are saying, you know, you can keep your 50 ringgit, you know, you don't, you don't need this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's so low. Yeah. And this 50 ringgit, it's supposed to be for next two years. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So, the, the, so what are the trade unions saying? I mean, are they going to do anything about it? So we have asked the um, trade union for a big demonstration, and they have this, they said uh, they are equally frustrated, and they're calling a meeting on Saturday to discuss how to move on with this. So they have made statements. A number of um, trade unions have made statements uh, about this wage. And surprisingly, none of the so-called reform is in the cabinet and you know, most of those people are keeping quiet. Mm. The, um, the so-called progressive ministers, uh, you know, even even the uh, human resource minister who before this was, who made this whole campaign, you know, on the question of minimum wage will be increased and all that. He has not been responding to any question. None of the cabinet members have been speaking out. Only Mahadev released a statement and he's the only one speaking on the topic. From the cabinet. So the four. Um, of course, there are some people who are not in the cabinet. They are talking. Yeah. Of course. What about the four components of um, Pakatan Harapan? Do all of the four um, coalition partners agree with this? See, they have all kept quiet. Nobody mm. has spoke about it. Um, there are some people who are not not uh, holding positions in the cabinet, like Charles Santiago and you know Ramaswamy. Some of them have been giving statements saying that. The minimum wage is too low, need to be reviewed. Of course, the reason given by Mahade is the same reason they've been giving every time. Yes. So these are the reasons the employers say. They talk about, you know, competition, uh, investors will run away, inflation. Uh, you know, Mahade said by increasing the minimum wage of the low-income workers, it will, in, it will affect their purchasing power, you know. And he's not and worried about the... Exactly. It's 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 meaningless. Yeah, because if you give money to the to the very poor, they're going to invest the money in the rural economy, and it will actually boost the economy. But he's telling it's going to increase uh, um, inflation. What do you call it? Inflation. Yeah. And and in either some the actual statistics here shows that only for Malaysian workers who will be actually affected is something less than two percent of the workforce. It's not going to really give much impact, so much impact, you see. Mm. 
but I think this is this is uh, you see the companies are actually trying to make the wages of migrants low, you know. Yeah, and and that's why they are pushing for this just fifty ringgit increase. So it's it's a big disappointment for the people who who voted for Pakistan Harappan with great hope, isn't it? Yeah, there's so much of cynical uh, comics and uh, things have been shared around, you know. The people thinking the minister, oh great, you know, he gave me this fifty. Now my whole life is going to change, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and if you um, hope, you know, you are living, uh, you all of you are living in such, uh, you know, you're like. Uh, you know, you got such a high salary and all that. Yeah. And, you know, thank you. You know, you considered us. You gave us fifty ringgit. Very good. You know. Very kind. So I think it's really uh, people are really upset. And I mean, because you see, the first few days when Pakistan came to power, a lot of focus on Najib going to be arrested, Najib yes. going to be charged. You know, once all that has finished. Yeah. You know, then they brought the they brought the ship from you know from Indonesia. Yeah. Belonging to Jolo, Bradisha, people got a bit excited. Mm. But then, when when all the excitement goes down, then it goes back to normal issues, wages, uh, you know. Mm. And there was recently also they wanted to. You see, currently, uh, you you get uh, a government hospital you only play, which was not in the manifesto, but they were proposing an insurance scheme, which means the family needs to pay about hundred ringgit a month. So there was a big, uh, you know, even PSM submitted a memorandum and all that, and then they said clarified, no, no, uh, not for the B40 and all that. But you know, they are they basically, um, you know, they there's three things they're using. One, they call it trillion dollars. They say we got a trillion dollars debt by the they blame the previous government, so they cut short of everything. Mm. So like now, fishermen going to the sea, their insurance money has been cut. If anything happens to them in the sea, they don't get the money. So insur uh, farmer. You know they are very much affected by this uh, trillion dollar now minimum wage. You know everything they say is the another thing. They say is whatever you tell him, he says he follow rule of law. But nobody understands what is there because it's a parliament that <laughs> makes the law. They, they he can't yeah, make the says, law through the parliament. What is he talking about? Yeah, and he keeps talking about no, we uh, we follow rule of law. We follow rule of law. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then the third thing we are noticing is none of the. Those people who said that they will they will keep Mahadi in a in in a check are silent. They are not opening their mouth. Yeah, you know. So it's it's like as if uh, Mahadi has consolidated his position. Yes, and uh, and he's he's become uh, and he's not talking about the third national car. He's talking about another tall thing to you know, which is the higher. He's talking about the you know the race course which was closed down they want to reopen it oh, okay. so he's going back to all his previous uh, unfinished <laughs> you know, and his cronies yes. are all projects, coming back into the picture projects, yeah. Yeah. so it's, it's so the people are going to be ripped off again and they're going to be very disappointed it's it's really hard on them isn't it it's it's just the bourgeois government it just is in place and you don't seem to be able to shake it yeah but the only good thing is like you know there is the media is a bit more open these days So you know, you, a lot of things get highlighted, and uh, they don't know how to handle, you know, <laughs> handle the media now because the media is actually questioning everything, you know. Yes. You know, they say this is your promise, you know. They keep keep repeating all your promises. Yeah. And they find it very difficult to deal with the uh, free media. So, uh, so that's that's one silver lining. <laughs> the media is okay. For now, who knows and, what will uh, happen soon? For now, for yeah, yeah, for now, yes. Okay.
Thanks a lot, Aro. I think we'll leave it there for now. Thank and I'll you. catch up with you because the recording system isn't fantastic at the moment. Okay. okay. All right. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And welcome back to Green Left Weekly Radio or Friday Breakfast. Um, you're with Jacob and Lalita online uh, at the studio today. Um, and I do apologize for the quality of the interview I did uh, before because I had enormous problems with Skype. Oh, it was so frustrating. Um, hopefully they'll fix it now. Uh, but thanks for tolerating it. But it was something we needed to do to catch up with our old. Um, has been a long time since we, um, you know, we're waiting for the three months to be over. But as as he said, the the system hasn't changed because mm. Mahathir totally believes in the business community of Malaysia because in, when he was there in the past, he was known as a 10% prime minister. And that means every business that gets set up has to pay him 10% commission. Mm. So he will be back doing the same things as, as Arul said. But anyway, mm. um, sorry about that recording, listeners, um, but um, couldn't be helped. Okay, Jacob, you want to say something? Yeah, so I just want to have a bit of um, we can start a bit of discussion about, I mean, this has been sort of happening in the past few weeks, but this is an article we kind of have in the latest Green Left Weekly, not this current issue, but the one that's coming out, because th- but this article is already up online. And it's about this kind of question about, you know, how the – Militarising the police is no solution. Mm. And, of course, there's been a lot of talk about extending um, police powers and militarising police forces, um, you know, after a violent brawl outside a pub in Collingwood, which was probably... Somewhere around the near, corner. somewhere around the corner. Um, I mean, I walked around. I walked to, to here, and it seemed pretty safe today. Um, today. Um, but it's sort of like you know, there's there's been this. Uh, they they always the media always, or the um, police always use these kind of incidents to basically lobby the government to extend um, police powers. And of course, you know, for several um, decades, you know, I guess you, you can look that we've seen this uh, a steady militarization of police forces. Um, you know, we have the Victorian state government has invested have invested heavily in specialist police forces since two thousand nine, when the Operations Response Unit was established. And I mean, what a lot of these a lot of these sort of things are basically just used against protests. They're not necessary there to make us safer it's more just a thinly railed kind of attack on our civil liberties more it's or less thinly i've got a lot to say about that and, and then we also have the con- problem that you know police forces already inappropriately target more minority communities such as indigenous peoples refugee migrant communities and of course we have the, the implementation of these new anti-association laws which basically makes it you can't, illegal to have meetings. Well, illegal to go and to legal to hang out with someone to associate with someone who may or may not have a criminal record. Uh-huh. And you're supposed to know all that. Yeah, well, it's and and it's perfectly um, disproportionately impacts on you know migrant communities. Migrant communities are already disproportionately targeted by police for you know minor offences. So say you have. You have a group of you know um, people hanging out, and then one of them has has possibly has some something on his criminal Who record. Who knows? Who's got criminal record? You do. Do you go around asking all your friends? Do you have a criminal record? Or no. people you meet? You and know, so the police are yeah attempt, but that's but that's the the thing um, about these anti-association laws and yeah. what they mean in practice. And I think you know what what um. And you know, it, um, but in the end, the, the main kind of attack is they they attack our minority communities and it extends to us through through um, attacking protests. If you're white in a small crowd, they'll ignore you. But if you're not white, then you're in big trouble. But there's other aspects of that too. I think the fundamental issue is that the police are and 
um, a, a, a organization that prevents uh, that protects the state. It's it's an arm of the state government, so they will use it for whatever necessary. Even though our taxpayers, our taxes, are the ones that pay those guys' salaries. Um, the, the, the simple example, like in, in Perth, uh, the cops chased these two Aboriginal kids to an extent they jumped in the river and they died. Mm. That is that is a sort of act that police are involved in, and then you arm them, even 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 the the, the public transport, whatever they call them now, um, are armed. Some carry guns. You know they're supposed to keep us safe, but the the, the whole approach has been punitive. That is the basic problem with this whole approach. You, if, if, if you don't agree with somebody's views and if you don't like some certain people, you punish them. And you mm-hmm. arm your, 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 your organization, in this case the police or the, the, the public transport supervising lot, with arms, bat- start with batons mm-hmm. and, you, and then you give them guns, then you give them probably, you know, who knows, tear gas, tasers, and, and, the, and, the, and the more... Um, you can frighten the community into feeling fearful the more you can arm the community. So it's a propaganda war that's launched not just by the police mm. but also by the government because they can control the people more. So if you have a rally, they can walk in and, and pick people up uh, willy-nilly, mm. easy. So it's it's like it's, it's straight oppression. It, it, to me, that's what it sounds like anyway. Um, and where's the freedom of speech? You know, for all the talk of freedom of speech, we are a democracy – where, where are the features of any of those concepts of democracy or freedom of speech? There's none. Mm. When you're being well, one of the things about Australia is Australia technically doesn't have an enshrined right to freedom of speech, um, which makes it. Do- but actually, the, besides the point, um, in t- we do. Um, I think you know what, what's quite clear is the kind of contradiction sense that you know we. Um, we we know we're in fury. We have the right to protest. We have the right to um, you know to. Have a have a opinion, make our voice heard, but of course, no one is necessarily listening. And of course, if our voice becomes too loud, then they will they'll put um, they'll put the police in place to keep everything in line. Mm, that's right. Uh, the US shoots yeah. um, well, foreign leaders. Actually, I have one actually example of this that actually just happened at a protest actually last Friday. Um, so last Friday there was a stop um, massive stop Adani protest. Yeah. Um, and the plan was actually to march, but unfortunately, at the same time, the Nigel Farage sort of oh, counter protest yes, was also happening yes. at the same time. And so the police yeah. had this. There was basic, one guy there. Yep. So basically, the police, um, there was all these sort of exclusion zones or whatever the jargon is. Why did they know? Um, anyway, because, um, because that protest was happening, the police used it as essentially an excuse to pressure the Stop Adani um, protest to not march. And so the, um, the, um, the Stop Adani protest um, didn't end up marching because they basically, you know, they were, probably weren't necessarily the most political people and, and they didn't want to, you know, upset. So the police basically used their authority to imitate that, intimidate them to not march. Yeah, and also the, the contradiction between not allowing Chelsea Manning to come, allow um, uh, Farage to come. Yeah. What kind of, uh, you know, uh, value judgment is that? Anyway, I could go on, but I'm not going to. All right, so let's have a one announcement, then go on to the calendar. Welcome back to Green Left Weekly Radio, and this is 3CR 855 on your AM dial. And we are on to the calendar, Jacob. 
All right, so I'll go on about some of the events that are happening. Um, if you, there's going to be a forum um, this Saturday. What can young people be doing to help refugees? Um, so they'll be at four pm at the Camberwell Library, um, which is at three four zero Camberwell Road, um, Camberwell, and it's hosted by Melbourne Youth for Refugees. Um, from Monday, September the 17th to Sunday the 13th, um, September the 13th, there'll be a theatre, Disability Pride is Back, which is a live installation session performance that brings together some of um, Melbourne's best-known disability activists and dis- disabled artists to re-extore the dis- disability pride mural that was dramatically removed on International Day of People with Disability in 2017. And that happened, that's happening at 9am, 11am, 3pm at the Telstra Exchange Building at 201 Nicholson Street from those dates. Um, on Tuesday, September the 18th, there's a public forum that I'm speaking at um, called um, titled um, Housing Crisis, What Are the Solutions? Um, that is 6.30pm with a meal from 6pm um, at the Resistance Centre, Level 5407 Swanson Street. Um, and it features speakers from the Homeless Persons Union, um, myself, and then Juliet Watson, who is an RMIT academic. Also happening on that Tuesday will be um, a comedy of terrors, a, weird, a witty, cheeky multimedia parody about five powerful leaders and their intersecting um, destinies. Um, it has Helen Child um, with special guest comedians Shirley Hood and Frank Hamster. So they'll be at the Loop Project and Space and Bar, 19 to 23 Myers Place in the city. Um, there'll be a conference next Wednesday, September the 19th, um, Transforming Democracy, Claiming Our Power, um, and it's a conference of the Federation of Community Legal Centres, and so they'll be happening at Town Hall on Wednesday, September the 19th. Um, there'll be a forum, Acting Out, Art That Changes the World. Um, it's a discussion with Steve Lambert, guerrilla artist and founder of the new the New York-based Centre for Artistic Activism. Um, they'll be at 6.15pm at the Wheeler Centre, 176, uh, 176 Little Longsdale Street in the city. Um, and then on Wednesday, September 19th, there'll be the History um, Salon, Gary Foley. Um, Gary Foley will be talking about pivotal moments in his activist, academic and creative career. And it's hosted by Kirsten Lindsay. Um, and they'll be at 6pm at the Bombay Buzz, capital um, city in the trial in South Bank. Bombini Buzz. It's a tricky name. Yeah, it's a tricky name. <laughs> um, I think to get there, you have to get... Ooh, I think it's on the capital city trial. So, yeah, on near South Bank. Um, Thursday, um, September 20th, uh, there'll be a forum, Know Your Rights at Work, which will be at the Hume Global Learning Centre, um, 75 to 95 Central Park Avenue in Craigieburn, and it's hosted by the Orajar Foundation in partnership with Morris Blackburn and National Union of Workers. Um, there'll be a theatre, um, Matriarch, which is a dynamic one-woman show that illuminates the strength and resilience of four generations of Gomba Nigigi women from the 1940s to the present day. Um, so they'll be at 5.30 and 6.30pm at the Arts House at 521 Queensbury Street, and the dates are going from Sunday, September the 22nd to Saturday, September the 29th. Um, there'll be, on Saturday, there is going to be um, September the 22nd, there'll be Extradition, um, Mandela, My Life. So they'll be happening at the Melbourne Museum. And I think that's when it opens. That's when it will open. Um, there'll be a rally, Critical Mass. Um, this is a court action. Join the Critical Mass artists in a crowding of crucial ideas by take, 
taking to the streets of Brunswick in a rally to come public art happening, witness the critical mass and unite as a community. So they'll be at 3pm at the site works. And there'll be a public meeting, Don't Deport Hewan. Um, Retinamese um, asylum seeker Hewan is facing deportation and indefinite, indefinite separation from her baby Isabella and her husband. And so they'll be at 2pm at the Community Arts Centre, 45 Moreland Street in Footscray. And it's organised by the Refugee Action Collective. On Monday, September the 24th, um, there'll be a NUW picnic day um, at 10am at the Mooney Rally race course. Okay, I'll do the next one if you want to get the person for the interview, Jacob. <coughs> okay, next is um, September 26th, uh, 25th, sorry, this is Tuesday. There's a film screening, Jirga. Former Australian soldier Mike is a haunted man. During a tour of Afghanistan, he accidentally shot a man who was unnamed and has never been able to forget. Determined uh, to right this most grievous wrongs, Mike sets out to find the man's family and throw himself at the mercy of the village court of the traditional Afghan justice. So the jirga, followed by Q&A discussions. Uh, 6.45, Cinema Nova uh, at Lycan Street, so people would know where the Nova is, so you can book tickets online or turn up there, and Mondays are $7, so that should be worth... Um, having a look at. Now, there's going to be a forum on the same day at Pentridge, What Next, it's a concert at, the, at the Concert Hall, 90 Bell Street, Coburg, hosted by Pentridge Community Action Group. Uh, it's also on Facebook. Thursday, 27th of September, it's a public meeting. This is the environmental and climate change stuff, people. Adani and the War Over Coal. Quentin Beresford talks about his new book, New International Bookshop, Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South, organised by the National uh, NIBS, in short. Um, October the 4th, it's a public meeting. Um, Gillian Triggs, Human Rights, and um, speaking up at 7.30 at the Athenaeum Theatre, 188 Collins Street in the city. So you need to book on a book for that one. Um, 6th of October, which is a Saturday. Um, the Saturday we have, uh, sorry, um, Diary Launch 2019, How to Make Trouble and Influence People. The diary features a radical event in Australian history for each day of the year, as well as stories and images covering Indigenous Australian resistance, strike, strike street art, convict, Convict escapes, creative direct action, blockades, and so on. Occupations. Um, it's hosted by Ian McIntyre at the Old Bar, 74 to 76 Johnson Street, Fitzroy. Now, we'll leave it at that because we are going on to the next interview, mm. which is uh, with a representative from... You want to introduce, yeah, introduce the person? Yeah, Yeah. Okay. Um, so, good, um, good morning, Andy. Good morning, Jacob. How are okay, you? just to introduce um, you. Um, so on the line we have Andy Hacking. Um, he is uh, the branch president of the AWU um, in Western Australia. And um, what we're going to be interviewing um, him about is um, there's been an indefinite strike um, by 1,600 workers at the Alcoa 
um, in Western um, Australia. Um, and it's, you know, it's basically been going on for the past several months. Um, and the strike um, involves um, Australian Workers' Union members at the Arkai Alum um, Afrinis and the Buck Six Mines in Western Australia. Um, so, Andy, um, what can you give us? Can you give us a bit of a summary of, you know, how the strike started and where, where it's going? Yeah, sure, Cam. Uh, look, about approximately 20 months ago, our enterprise bargaining agreement was uh, uh, due to finish. Uh, so we had been negotiating for the last 20 to 22 months um, to try and find a way to to find um, a you know a peaceful uh, EBA that both the workers could live with and our coal could live with. It become pretty clear that uh, after the first few meetings that Alcoa uh, were really keen to just really go through the agreement and take everything out that give us any any protections. So um, it basically started there. Of course, we both parties followed the legislation and bargained in good faith, but we just couldn't get over the 20 months, we couldn't get close to what we currently have now. Okay, um, and what what are the some of the the sticky points in the negotiations? You've been negotiating for a long time twenty two months is yeah. a hell of a long time to 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 negotiate an EBA. So what are the yes. sticky points, Andy? I'm sorry, it's Lalita okay. here, the other person who's the broadcasting this yeah. this program. No, it's a great question. Uh, look, the sticking the major sticking points are around the condition stuff. So. Um, we need a minimum amount of people to run these refineries and mine sites. Um, so what Alcoa wanted to do was to get rid of any manning agreement so they could flex up and flex down whenever they wanted to, you know, when times were tough. And uh, we actually conceded on that. Now, what they then tried to put in was that they wanted forced redundancies in the agreement mm. now. So when you've got no manning agreement, um, mm. you can't you can't keep a level of manning up. So and then when you put forced redundancy redundancies in there, then the company can then tap people on the shoulder and say bye bye. And our our concerns were that they were going to start outsourcing our work to cheaper contractors. Of course. Um, so what we did is we said, look, we we would even give you the forced redundancies on the basis that you'd give us an agreement that you wouldn't contract our, out our work. Alcoa said no. Mm. That is that is a very very important point because the the casualized working workforce is growing as we all know, and that's it's good that you you guys have um, mm. stuck up and um, I guess stood yeah. your ground really. Yeah. But no, the, exactly. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things I know of indefinite strike, mm. because I've been in one for 50 days, um, is maintaining the crew's um, morale and, um, you know, watching where the process is going and which way the uh, forces are lining up. So how yeah. does it look to you? How are the, the workers um, bearing up? It's what, you started on the 8th of August, which is, um, what, look, September, just over a month. Yeah. And uh, what sort of support are you getting from the community? So that's a great question. Um, look, we... we We've been going 38 days today, mm. and um, and look, what we do is we've set up 24-hour picket lines or protest lines, and uh, everybody that's rostered on are expected to be there other than family issues and, and important appointments and so forth. Um, so what happens is everybody rolls up. We make sure that we've got 
I love food and supplies, uh, entertainment, radios, TVs, and so forth. And uh, it sounds and, like a uh, picnic. <laughs> yeah, so so it's, it's a picnic. Yeah, it actually turned out. Uh, you know, it wasn't something we thought that would happen, but it's turned out to be. Uh, it's built such close camaraderie amongst the ships because these guys go in and work in a massive refinery. Yeah, they don't see each other and talk to other each other that much. Mm. Um, but what they've been able to do is bond on these picket lines. So from right. a morale point of view, yep. outstanding. From a right. financial point of view, it's getting stra- it's getting stressed. Hmm. And um, how have you been getting? Because um, um, in Melbourne, um, you know, there's been a number. Actually, there's a you probably know about the the Exxon kind of strike yes. Um, yes, that's happening do. right now, and also previously there was the CUB um, picket that went on for a very long time and. One of the things that's common with all these strikes is they relied um, quite a lot on uh, the union um, being able to basically bankroll the workers and also yeah. be able to send, and also support from the community as well. And so, what kind of finance are you? Are the workers able to get um, financial support while being um, on strike? Yeah, it's a good question. We've got we've got a lot of people that have been there for quite some time, and we actually have been preparing people to to, to save for this because. We just knew that uh, the, the approach that our coal was taking, it was like nothing we'd seen before. So we've told people to put money away. Now, people that have been there, the refinery for 30 years are obviously better off than the people that have been there for two to three years. So what we're doing is we're circling around the people that haven't been there long with mortgages and young families, and we're supporting them. And we're getting a range of support from the union movement, uh, all unions, right, and also the public, the general public, who just pull up and drop money off and food off. Mm. Um, because this is a bigger issue yes. for Australians than we think, right? Now, Absolutely. You, you mentioned those other issues. Um, this government, this federal government that are in now, they are actually three quarters to halfway, halfway to three quarters through killing the middle class in Australia. Now, when you're all casualised and your wages haven't moved for five, ten years and so forth and CEOs start getting record profits again, you know, what you what you end up with is a, an Australian class, two classes, you know, and, we, you know, the, the public aren't silly. They're waking up to say, this is happening everywhere. My kid's working two, three casual jobs. He just about can't go away for the weekend and all of a sudden... He's, um, he's told that he's no, no longer needed on the weekend and it spoils family gatherings, family events. You know, you can't plan, you can't get bank loans. Um, so I think the general public have woken up and uh, and the, the support from the communities and other unions has been absolutely outstanding. It's actually blown us away. Mm. Okay. Um, I notice Sally McManus has um, visited you guys. That would have boosted your morale a bit. Yeah, Sally was fantastic, and she knows what's going on. She's seen the pattern. You know, if you actually mm. have a look, there's an industrial template out there that uh, big companies are using. It's basically take this, take this crappy, shitty deal, or we will de- we will file to terminate your agreement and put you back onto the award, which is a worse deal. So it's industrial blackmail. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Thuggery, as she calls it. Uh, it. She's right on the money. You know, they, they, mm. there's a template there that they're using. It, the pattern's very common. BP guys down the road, uh, my brother's convener there, uh, Clive Hacking, and uh, they are going through the exact same model as we went through. Mm. It seems to be a common pattern across the country, and it's a, it's the government policy to allow these companies to beat up the workers, basically. As, yeah. as, you know, it's just not good enough. Um 
Andy, t- tell us if do, if um, our listeners would like to make a donation, is there a way of doing it online? Yeah, there is the ACTU um, website. Uh, Sally has put put a uh, a page up where you can you can donate. Yep. Um, you know, so I, ha- I don't have those details. Oh, I have the I have the details here. So, yep. um, for any listeners who would like to um, make any donations, and if of course if we have any WA listeners by any chance. Um, um, I imagine you would be able to visit the picket line as well. Um, but to donate, um, visit australianunions.org.au. Um, and actually, before we get go, I just wanted to ask kind of one last question. Um, sure. And the last question is, what kind of support have you been kind of receiving um, in the parliament um, for this strike, especially from the opposition, uh, <laughs> the Labor Party? Yeah. Uh, look, Jacob, I, even from the Liberal uh, politicians, right, who won't cross the floor and change the rules, but uh, Andrew Hastie from Canning has been uh, has been very helpful. Um, but the Labor Party, absolutely outstanding. We have had politicians after politicians coming down to the picket line, bringing home-cooked food, uh, giving donations, and they know what's going on. They are coming out and saying they're writing to Michael Parker, the uh, CEO of Alcoa, uh, Gareth Dixon, the president for Australian Bauxite, and um, they're writing to those guys and saying, get this deal sorted, get these workers back to work, what you're doing is not right. Um, Bill Shorten's been over, uh, you know, Bill's no shrinking violet on this sort of stuff, he knows he knows what's going on. And, you know, what we are saying to, to, gov- uh, to big companies is that your Liberal government aren't going to be there forever. An actual fact, if you ever look at the Liberal government, if you can, it changes from day to day these <laughs> yes, days. that's but, right. <laughs> uh, it's in disarray, and, yeah. and so it should be, because the Australian people, whether they're Labor or Liberal voters, these gov- this government has been a disgrace. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just look at the um, by-elections in Wagga Wagga. 30% of voters have moved away yeah. from the main parties. I know you, no. you, the Labor Party has been good with you guys there. But yeah. I know in the past they haven't been as supportive as they could have been. So let's hope that um, they certainly learn from that. And the the um, deregistering of CFF, CFMMEU is also on the cards here. So a lot of things yeah. going on in terms of trade unions. But Andy, all the best. And uh, I'm hoping that listeners who have um, been attentive this morning will donate. And we will keep a close eye on your struggles. Good luck. Thank you very much, guys, and keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Goodbye. Welcome back to Green Love Weekly. We're on the last few minutes of the program. Is there any stories you want to cover before we sign off, um, Jacob? Uh, I can't really find these stories at the okay, moment. I went to a forum by Julian Burnside yesterday, mm-hmm. and it was one amazing experience because he was able to describe and bring the humanity into the question of the refugees. And he he talked about how some refugees were treated. And uh, Riza Barazi, what's his name, who was killed? Barazi? um, Barati, I think his name is. Uh, How he was killed. And Scott Morrison, our current prime minister, has stated that he was killed outside by the locals. But the truth was he was actually killed inside. Uh, the guards beat him up even after he was dead. Um, they um, There was a local who was in the uh, vicinity and he had been beating up the guy with um, a, um, a beam with nails at the end of it. it some gory stories. And he also talked about um, 
so many other individual stories that was heartbreaking. Uh, it'll be really, really important for us to keep fighting this because if we thought that, that um, Dutton was bad, Morrison was just as bad uh, in, in, on the question, or is, 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 uh, really, really bad on the question of refugees. And um, as we know, 12 people have died in Australia, offshore detention centres, in the past five years as a result of murder, suicide and medical neglect. And we don't know the number of people who have died of the lot who have been sent back to what they call here in, in terms of home, which is actually a hostile territory for refugees. So the, 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 there have been numerous cases of beatings, rapes, self-harm and um, at the centres. Um, so we need, we need to be really careful and we know and we are well aware of a, a condition, I guess, is, is, is fairly new. It's called the resignation syndrome where children refuse to interact with uh, people around them, refuse to eat, refuse to drink. And they become completely withdrawn with absolutely no hope, no desire, um, no interest. And they, it's, it's like they have just given up living. Um, so... Once the, the his contributions um, come online, I'll play it for people to listen to because it was an amazing description <clears throat> because he, of course, made a, a documentary on this across um, the world. He visited refugee um, detention camps and so on and made the story, I made the documentary. So um, there's something you can look forward to. Um, so, so let's... Um, Think about the refugees and support actions that pertain to them. Um, I'm about to sign off on that story and hopefully you'll keep the refugees in mind. Of course, the Sri Lankan family, they are currently um, under the pump um, in the detention camp with the kids in there too. Um, So we actually have come to the end of the program and there's so much more we can talk about. Um, refugees, Chelsea Manning, and, and the way they've treated her, and, and and the way the Liberal government treating people at the moment, as Andy said, from from the Alcala mines or refineries. So let's sign off on a note that we will stand up and fight for people who are being um, oppressed, suppressed, uh, neglected, uh, harmed by the government's policies. So Jacob. And I will see you, well, um, next week Zane will be on. Zane and Jacob will be on. And we have um, the next program coming up, uh, Beyond Zero Emissions. Yep. And that is actually on um, on queue here. So we'll get to it in a minute. Um, so as I said, um, we'll be signing off. And thank Andy. Did you get his surname? Andy Hacking. Andy Hacking. Um, from Alcoa for being available for an interview for um, our program. And of course, thanks to our children uh, from Malaysia for being available to 3CI and Green Left Radio for his interview as well. So I hope you enjoyed the program. And uh, very soon it'll be up on podcasts for you to listen if you missed any of it. So let's say um, goodbye, Jacob, to everybody. Hope you have a great day and safe day. Given all the um, the um, roadworks, I hope you have a safe drive. So I'm going to put on a outro and then.